0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 477 with Diane Duresta. Diane is a professional speaker who helps people speak more professionally. How's that for Meta? and boosting confidence and all kinds of good things there. So you'll learn, one, why knockout presentation skills are essential to your career, two, how to structure the most effective presentation, and three, an effective way to overcome your fear of speaking. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep477. Now here's Diane's story. Diane Duresta, CSP, is founder and CEO of Duresta Communications, Inc., a New York City consultancy that serves business leaders who deliver high-stakes presentations whether one-on-one, in front of a crowd, or from an electronic platform. A certified speaking professional, she is one of only 12% of speakers to hold that designation. She was president of the New York City chapter of the National Speakers Association and former media trainer for the NBA and WNBA. Thanks to Diane for spending some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Diane, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: It's great to be here, Pete.
1: Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom. And so you have done a whole lot of work serving business leaders with their presentations. So I want to hear maybe your backstory for how this came to captivate your fascination and attention.
2: Well, I didn't plan on doing what I'm doing. I actually was going to be a high school teacher of English, my favorite subject. There were no jobs at that time. So I became interested in speech pathology. So I started out as a speech pathologist. And I remember taking the first public speaking course. I needed a three-credit course, finally got it. And I remember the first speech, you know, that introduction speech where you have to talk about yourself. Well, I was very nervous and I remember getting up and sitting against the professor's desk and the more I talked, the faster I got and the more nervous I got. But I thought, well, maybe nobody will notice. And then just as I was winding down, I heard the stage whisper in the back of the room and she said, look, her shoulders are shaking. Well, (laughs) I wanted to run out of that room so fast and never come back, but I did. And I stuck it out and I got a B in the course. So I was not a standout. And if you had told me then that today I would have my own business, Diresta Communications, working with leaders and executives in Fortune 500 companies and speaking on five continents, I would have laughed. I had no inkling. Today, my company specializes in three areas, presentation skills, communication skills, and media training, and it all comes under the larger umbrella of executive presence. So we show up through keynote speaking, seminars, and workshops, one-on-one executive speech coaching, and I'm also the author of a book called Knockout Presentations, which is in its third edition. So very exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I'd love to get your take on if folks are not too committed at first in sort of really improving these skills. Much they're like, hey, you know what? I know what I want to say. I'm just going to say it. Can you tell me what's really the kind of difference that it makes from having just like a fine presentation versus a knockout presentation and the time that it takes? Could you maybe give us a case study here?
2: Sure. I often say that gifted speakers are born, but effective speakers are made. It's like any skill, Pete. You have to practice and the more you practice, the better you become. So today speaking is the new competitive advantage. It's different from when I first started out and If you are not able to present yourself, you're going to lose opportunities. What this gets for you, and I have seen it because I've worked with people, it gets you the promotion, it gets you the job offer, it gets you the the raise, it gets you buy-in, it gets you so much further when you know how to present yourself and communicate well. It is a leadership skill and no one can be without it anymore. It's simply a must-have.
1: Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a story of a person whose career was struggling and then they I kind of turned it around? Yeah,
2: I have so many stories. I'll give you the first one that comes to mind, which was not my typical client, but she was a second year law student. And she I was a gift by her mother-in-law. And this woman was very nervous about speaking in class and she was thinking of dropping out of law school. So what she would do is she'd raise her hand, ask a question so the professor wouldn't call on her for the rest of the time. So her mother-in-law said, why don't you go meet Diane? Now we only had four sessions, but within those four sessions, I was able to reframe her thinking and give her some basic tools that gave her the confidence. So long story short, she graduated. And now today she's able to present. She actually sent me a video testimonial saying, hi, Diane, I just gave a presentation and it went well and I'm doing really well. So it's a skill that anyone can learn. So that's someone who almost lost her opportunity in in law. I can tell you stories where someone wanted a job and it was very competitive. It was one job at the top. It required a lot of different skills and she was a good candidate. But when I looked at her resume and I heard her presentation, it was so dense. And I said, point blank, there is nothing you've told me that would make make me want to hire you. Let's rework this presentation. And so we did. And long story short, she got the job. And I I can tell you other stories like that. And I can tell you one other where it was the VP, the vice president of tax, and he was about to lose his job. He reported to the president, and the president was frustrated with him because he couldn't get to the point. And he would want to know, what is your recommendation on tax? And he would hedge and haw. And I said, well, what recommendation would you make? He said, Well, I would say A, but I have to tell him all of this before I can do that. So I said, No, lead with what you're recommending and then tell him the reason. Long story short, he kept his job. The president was no longer frustrated. And the human resource person said she was relieved that she didn't have to give a pink slip. So it helps you keep your job. It helps you get a better job. It helps you get promoted. It helps you ace the interview. There are so many benefits.
1: Oh, you know, those are some great stories. And I like that notion that you know a lot of things, you feel the need to say a lot of things. And no, that's really not what the person on the other end wants to hear. You mentioned that the presentation was so dense and there was nothing that made you say, I want to hire this person. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about dense and how that's a bad thing?
2: Oh, this is so common. In fact, I had a conversation with a reporter from the Wall Street Journal. And she said, Diane, what's happening in your business? And I said, you know, the last few executives I worked with had trouble getting to the point. And a couple of them were CFOs. They were high level. And that ended up becoming an article. And I think it was called Talkaholics Can Kill Your Career, Your Promotion, and, and, and Something, Your Presentation. Long story short, When I have worked with people, they tell them too much. That's the big thing, they get stuck in the weeds. The first thing you wanna know is who's in front of me, what do they care about, and how do they like to receive information? And then you tailor your message to their style. And less is more, and here's why. If they want more information, they'll ask for it. Just like that vice president of tax, he had a five-minute presentation and it was going to be by phone with the president. And I said to him, all right, let's practice this. You cannot go over your five minutes. And he said, okay. Well, afterwards, I followed up and said, how did it go? He said, oh, I think it went well, but um, I was on the phone for about an hour. I said, what? What happened? And he said, well, I talked for five minutes, but then the president kept asking me questions. And I said, congratulations. Better to be invited to stay at the table than to be asked to leave. So give them what they need to know, not everything you know. And I'm going to repeat that because it's so important. Give them what they need to know, not everything you know. And when you are crisp, they actually retain more. Keep it simple, keep it short.
1: Mm -hmm. And so that notion of give them what they need to know, do you have like a systematic way that you go about identifying that?
2: Well, this is where you need to do your homework. It's hard to go in cold and not know someone, but let's say you do. Then you want to engage them in a short conversation, ask them some questions. You know, what are you tackling with? What, what's important right now, et cetera, et cetera. And then start with what's important to them. And I have a whole process that I put people through in how to structure and organize your talk and your message. I call it listener centered communication. It's chapter seven in my book. And what Most people do the big mistake. One of the big mistakes is they're speaker centered, not listener centered. So they start with what's important to them. Good morning. Today I want to talk to you about my idea. They don't care about your idea, they care about their own self interest. So lead with what's important to them. So if you're talking to a manager and you want to get an extra person on board to help you out, don't start with, I'm overworked and I need somebody to help me. Start with, I have a way we can be more productive in this department. That's a hook, a grabber. And so when you lead with that, now you have the listener's attention because what do managers care about? They care about productivity. Now that you have that person's attention, you can lead them down the path of how you came to that, what the problem is and how you have a solution. And you can do it in a really short period of time. I've had people use this process and create a whole presentation and deliver it in six minutes and it is powerful. So I would say less is more, but you have to be able to speak the person's language. So know yourself, know your audience, know your message.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, I think Sun Tzu would say you will win a thousand battles or something when you know thyself and uh, the enemy or the audience here. (laughs) So I'm intrigued. You mentioned that uh, in six minutes, you have a nice package there and you start with a hook in terms of what they really care about. And then could you spell out a few of the pieces that come after that?
2: Well, sure. First, you want to get attention. So you want to start with something positive. What's the dream? What's the goal? And then the next step is to ask yourself, what's in the way of that goal? What's the the roadblock? What's standing in the way? And then what you're doing is you're leading them to understand that there's a need or problem. So now you can bring in your recommendation because here's what we learn in sales training. Until someone recognizes that there is a need or a challenge, they don't have any reason to buy or to act. So we really need to paint a picture of that need or that current situation. Only then are they open to hearing your solution, and then you need to talk about the benefits to them, not to you. Mm-hmm. Here's what we'll gain: we'll be more productive, we'll uh, reduce time, we'll have have we'll be compliant with our paperwork, our customers will be happier. What are the benefits that that manager cares about? And then here's the thing that people need to know: you need to give them the overview or the agenda, and then save the details for the middle. So if I go back to what I said about not getting to the point, I've seen a lot of people start with details. And when you start there, you get lost. Right. So I, in my book, I have a picture of a speech sandwich. And so if you think of a sandwich, let's say a Kaiser roll, the top of the bun and the bottom of the bun are probably the same dimensions. But the thick part is the middle. So I, I always say, keep the meat for the middle, save your details for the body, not the beginning.
1: Hmm. Yes. And so I'm also curious to hear a bit about, you talk about you have to show a need or challenge or problem. And I'm thinking about, you know, selling from pain. It tends to be often work better, a painkiller versus a vitamin. So they say yes. <laughs> sells better. So I'm wondering if things are already going pretty well, and you've got an idea for making things go, you know, even weller, better. How do you think about that with regard to painting it as there is a barrier or obstacle or need when it's like, no, things are going great and we're going to make it even better?
2: Well, that's it. It's raising the bar. It's being even better. So, you know, we're doing great. We're really crushing it. However, it's just a matter of time before our competitors can do the same, or it's just a matter of time before this gets old. We know today you have to continually innovate and I'm seeing a trend or I see an opportunity that I'd like to talk uh, about to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people understand if they're innovative that times are changing, you have to move quickly, you have to be nimble. So that's really the issue. You know, we're great. We cannot afford to sit on our laurels right now. We're, you know, crushing it, but we've got to be nimble. So here's what I'm seeing as the next step.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And I want to follow up a little bit more on your law student story. So this person had extreme fear about speaking up in class, but through some reframing and tools, fear. You conquered it. That's great. So how might the rest of us do that?
2: All right. Well, here's what I know. If you are nervous, you are being self-centered because it's all about me, myself, and I. Oh, I hope I don't trip. Oh, I hope I don't lose my train of thought. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about the audience. Change your focus. Change the picture that's in your mind. That's the first step. And when I work with people, I work in two ways, with skill set and mindset, but first mindset, because fear and anxiety begin in the mind. You are, I know that if you're nervous, and I'm not talking about the little butterflies, we all get a little bit of that. But if you are really nervous, it means that you're living in the future. You are envisioning everything that can go wrong. So what you need to do is come back to the present and be here with the audience, and the best way to bring yourself into the present is to focus on your breath. So we work on breathing exercises to get you back into your body. Now, there's no excuse or substitute for lack of preparation. I can't do anything if you don't prepare. But assuming that you know your message and you've practiced and you've prepared, the rest is just mindset going out there, doing it. Now, the other thing is people think that they shouldn't be nervous. They get those butterflies and they think something's wrong. No, that's adrenaline. It's a good thing because what adrenaline is doing is getting you ready for a performance. And I'm sure people who are in sports have a little bit of that too. It's helping you to get over the finish line. So start to think differently about what happens. Now, here's the other thing, Pete, you need to reframe what happens in the moment. So for example, what is the self-talk that you're hearing in your mind when you're watching the audience? Too often we give so much power to the audience, we make them our enemy and they're not. They're really on our side. They want us to, to succeed. So I remember I was speaking at the Voice Foundation and I was talking to speech scientists and doctors and voice therapists on public speaking skills. And I was saying things that were not popular to them, like, don't read your slides, don't read your research papers. Mm -hmm. And at one point, this man right in the front opened his laptop and started typing. And I thought, oh, no, he's bored. He hates what I'm saying. And in that moment, I caught myself and I said, no, I think he's taking notes on what I'm saying. Now, to this day, I don't know what he was doing, but I had a choice to choose the story I was going to tell myself. And we all have that power. By the way, if you see someone who's looking negative or hostile, stop looking at them. Go look at the friendly faces who will give you that support. I have a client who I worked with on her keynote and I went to see her and I was giving her nods and thumbs up. And she told me the other day, it was so helpful to have you in the audience, Diane, because I saw those signals and it gave me confidence. So look at those people who are going to be your true believers.
1: Hmm. You know, And I love that notion of, you know, you create stories and interpretations of events and then you feel emotions based upon those. I remember I just recently I was camping and then on our final night, my tent mate Brad was packing up and I noticed he really like wasn't saying anything. I was like, oh man, is he mad? Did I like elbow him in the night or snore or uh, <laughs> upset him in some way? Cause he's not really saying anything to me. And then And then I asked him a question and then he like whispered a response. He's like, oh no, he's just being considerate of the other people in Uh tents nearby. Uh So it's not good thinking, Brad. Uh And it's just like, I'm in my own little world sticking things in a backpack. And so that's fascinating how we instinctively do that. We interpret something, we make stories. So how about make it a great one that helps you out?
2: Exactly. There are the facts of what's going on or there are situations and we decide what story we tell about it. That power is in your hands. Everybody can do that as speakers. And if something does go wrong, and let's say you didn't have a great experience, you can learn from it. You don't have to beat yourself up. Find something that was effective. And it may just be, I stepped up and I tried. Good, now you know something new for the next time. But keep going. This is Speaking is such an important skill. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to your career. The whole idea of executive presence, you will be judged on your executive presence. How do you come across visually? How are you dressed? How is your tone of voice? How do you use language? But most importantly, I found one of the keys to success in executive presence is people who have executive presence are fully aligned with their body, their tone, and their words. What that means is their body tone and words are giving off one consistent message because when one of these goes out of sync now you've given off a double message the audience gets confused and so then body language becomes the default so work on these three areas so that you're congruent and that's what builds credibility and that's what builds trust and ultimately confidence
1: mhm and that makes a lot of sense in terms of okay with body tone and words are in alignment there then it just seems like you have integrity like oh this guy really believes what he or she is saying.
2: Exactly. And
1: it packs a a bit of a punch and sometimes you believe what you're saying, but it's not coming across in how you're holding your body or your tone. It's like a question when you're actually pretty certain based on your deep research that this is the right way.
2: And that's why having a coach is so critical because that coach can point those things out because a lot of times people don't know what they're doing. I thought I gave it my all, I prepared, but why aren't I coming across in a certain way? oh, let me show you on the video what happened. And then once you know, you can change that. So one of the things I do is I always put people on video and show them how to be their own coach. Because once you know what the skills are and once you can identify them, then you can turn it around and you have so much more control.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, so yeah, coaches are great. I recommend them. If folks are not yet ready to take that step, but they are videotaping themselves, what are some of the top things you notice most often? Like, hey, stop doing that or start doing this.
2: All right, well, some of the the basics that can make a big difference is first of all, make an eye connection. Too often people make what I call eye contact, which is short and fleeting. But when you make an eye connection, you're looking at one person at a time for about a sentence or two, or for about three to five seconds, as if you were having a real conversation. So in a large group or even a small meeting, When you take the time to really look at someone, it connects with them and it builds a relationship and it builds trust. So that's the first thing. Another thing is how you use your gestures, your hands. Whether you're seated or standing, you want your hands above the waist and you want to keep them in the box, the gesture box. And that is that your power space is from your face to your waist. So get your hands waist high As soon as possible, if you're sitting at a meeting table, put your hands on the table. They should be visible because hands that are below the waist make you look tentative Mm -hmm. or not looking confident.
1: Or like you have a weapon and that's threatening to us humans.
2: Yes, but as soon as you bring them up, (laughs) you look much more confident. So that's one thing. And then gesture. You want to have gestures, but you don't want to be in perpetual motion. So have a rest position that you can come back to.
1: Certainly. And that's interesting. So, the waist is quite common, I think, for hands to fall below the waist. They're sort of just there. If you're standing on stage or if you're standing, it's common for hands to just sort of be at the sides. But you're saying that's not so much a powerful place to be?
2: No, it's not powerful. If you're there, get your hands up as soon as possible. Because when we're speaking naturally in a conversation, our hands move. We don't stand stiffly with our hands by our sides. And we don't talk with our hands folded in front of us, you know, draping down. When we're animated, when we're passionate, our hands are moving. So in American culture, gestures are a good thing. You want to use them. But if you're in a small space, your hands are going to be closer to your chest. But you don't want to be flailing or going beyond the the gesture box that I described. Mm-hmm.
1: And so is it acceptable for the hands to occasionally fall down below the waist in a natural kind of a way? Or is your recommendation to be above the waist the whole time?
2: If you can be above the waist the whole time, that's even better. But if they drop, then just bring them up. That's all.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So in your book, Knockout Presentations, you've got a whole lot of pro tips. I'd love to hear of the things that we have not yet covered. Which do you think really provides the greatest amount of leverage? Like we get a whole bunch of improved knockout power for not a whole lot of effort?
2: Oh, you know, it's so hard to pick out one or two. I just gave you two key ones. I would say the key physical skill is eye contact and eye connection. I'd say making a connection with the audience and having a conversation as opposed to talking at people is really important, but it comes back to knowing your message you've got to do the upfront work because it's 90% preparation and 10% delivery. And I believe that's one of the reasons people lose focus. So you need to be very focused, clear. You need to project your voice. Voice is important as well. It's second to body language. And the meta message is in the voice. So if you say, I'm not angry, what makes you think I'm angry? You know, <laughs> that's the message, not the words. So- Match your tone to the audience, and that's important. If you are in a group meeting where there's going to be dialogue and you have someone who's soft-spoken, then you don't want to be loud like this because that's a disconnect. So pacing your audience is important, meaning the pace at which you speak, the level at which you speak, the volume, how fast or slow you, you move is important. You want to be in sync with the audience. That's Mm -hmm. key. And then listen to your language. This is another thing that I've heard. Too often when we're trying to persuade or to be credible and confident, we lapse into what I call wimpy words or weak speak. And I've listed that in my book. So hopefully I've convinced you and maybe you'd like to meet with me because this is sort of a good idea. And I feel if you're presenting like that, even if you have the greatest invention, nobody's going to buy it, into it because you don't believe it. So when your goal is to persuade, you want to use powerful language. It's not if, it's when or by. Don't use words like hopefully, not I feel, I'm confident. But if you're in a conflict resolution situation, that's a different story. Then you want to use softer language such as you may want to consider. So. Everything is situational. And I'd say that's another key to giving a knockout presentation. Knockout presenters size up their audience. They meet them, they pace them, and they speak their language. So if you're speaking to someone who's very proper and formal, you don't wanna be using a lot of slang. Model that, you know, mirror that. But if you're talking to someone folksy, you don't wanna use an extensive vocabulary. You're probably going to use colloquial terms. So those are the key things, the key elements. It's really know yourself, know your audience and know your message.
1: Mm -hmm. When it comes to the preparation being 90% of the game, I'd love to get your take on kind of just how much time does it take to prepare? How do you know when you are prepared? Because I think that it's quite common for folks to say, okay, you know, hey, I made my slides, I know my slides, I've ran through them one time, I'm prepared. Like what's the bar for checking the box? Like, yes, preparation has happened.
2: Well, I do it several times and here's a tip. If you're going to go into a room that you're not in normally, get there an hour early and practice in the room. There is something about practicing in the room that makes it go even more smoothly. If you have that opportunity, it's a great thing to do. Here's what I will say. Because I'm a professional speaker and I get paid to speak, one of the misconceptions is that they're paying for an hour of my time. And they'll say, well, I'll pay you this. I said, well, that's not my fee. But for an hour? no, it's not an hour. If you know the preparation that goes into that from the conversations on the phone with the buyers, with the people who are going to be in the audience, to any kind of surveying, to researching about them, to researching about your topic, to writing it up and structuring it, to editing it, to practicing it, to creating slides. There is so much that goes into a presentation. So you went through your slides once. Well, good. I hope that was enough for you. But you want to consider everything. Here's the other thing. Are you thinking about what could go wrong? What if Murphy's Law is in operation the day of your presentation? And so one of the things that I do, Pete, is I work on recovery strategies with my clients. So I had a woman who was very nervous and I said, all right, tell me, what is your worst nightmare? And she said, well, what if I get up there and I trip? And I said, all right, well, let's imagine you tripped. What could you do? And she was clueless. So I said, well, how about if you said, I want you to know I've been practicing that entrance for weeks or never let it be said, I don't know how to make an entrance. So if you have some of these one liners, these ad lib lines, you're recovering with grace and it'll break the tension. People will laugh and you'll be able to go on. The worst thing is to freeze up and not know what to do. So think about what could go wrong. What is your biggest fear and plan for it. And sometimes there's nothing you can do. There's a fire drill and you have to leave. But when it's under your control, use your recovery strategies.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking one situation that is kind of spooky for people is they get a question, they don't know the answer. Ah, what are your tips for handling that situation?
2: Well, the first thing is don't fake it because if somebody in the room knows the answer, you will lose all credibility. Nobody knows everything, so you can acknowledge it and you can say something like, I'm not 100% sure of that, but let me get back to you. And most people will accept that. Another option you have is if you're in a meeting or... An organization, and you have a subject matter expert on that, you could deflect it and say, I'm not 100% sure, but let me turn it over to Pete because he's really the expert in that. The only downside to that is number one, you have to make sure that he really or she really is the expert. And then what happens is you lose control because the two of them can have a tete a tete. So you want to make sure that you use that technique sparingly. The other Thing that you can do is what politicians do. You answer the part that you do know. I'm not 100% sure of that. What I do know is, and then you talk about the aspect that you do know. And so it's not as if you're just shrugging your shoulders and saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's okay not to know the answer as long as you have a response. All right.
1: Well, Diane, tell me any other key things you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear some of your favorite things.
2: I would say it's really important that you develop the skill whatever way you can, whether it's starting with a book or going to Toastmasters or asking your company if they have any kind of internal training or coaching. Model from others, watch TED.com, watch TED Talks. You will learn so much from other speakers. And start slowly, volunteer to speak, whether it's a lunch and learn or in your community, but you need to be out there practicing. It's like a skill, it has to be used.
1: All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: Well, what comes to mind is what I wrote in my high school yearbook. Quitters never win, winners never quit.
1: Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite book?
2: I like The Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes. That one is a really thick textbook. It's huge. It's like War and Peace. It's really a really thick book. But it's so much about how the mind works and, and spiritual energy. And I think all of that is related to what I do, because what I do is I empower people through the spoken word. And it's all about your belief system and managing your mind.
1: Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job?
2: I like an app called Like So. I use it with my clients and I require coaching clients to download it. It's a free app. And what it does is it gives you analytics. So you talk into the phone for about 30 seconds a minute, and it will give you scores on your speaking pace, how many words you use, your projection, and then it gives you an overall grade. So it's a good way to continue practicing. So there's no excuse. So I love that app.
1: Mm -hmm. And a favorite habit?
2: I do a very short morning meditation when I'm commuting. It's not the best because it's noisy. I have it on my phone and it's a way for me to ground myself. And in the summer months, right near my office, there is a little park with a fountain and I sit there early in the morning before I go up and that's very soothing and grounding for me.
1: Mm-hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks they repeat it back to you often?
2: Well, they'll say, speaking is the new competitive advantage. They will tweet that, they will retweet that and that gifted speakers are born, effective speakers are made. Those two frequently, and also know yourself, know your message, and know your audience.
1: Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: The best place is my website, deresta.com. That's D as in David, I, R-E, S as in Sam, T as in Thomas, A, Deresta.com. And there is a free gift there, although it's redundant because gifts are not charged. It's a free audio course called Seven Deadly Mistakes Speakers Make and How to Avoid Them for Maximum Success. It's a series of email audio emails. So you're invited to download that and you can also find my book Knockout Presentations there as well as online and in bookstores.
1: Lovely. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yes. Do it. If you want to be awesome at your jobs, you have to be able to be a good presenter. There's no question about it. So whatever you need to do, make a commitment before you get off this call, write down what you're going to do to raise the bar on your presentations and your communication. One thing you can do, go to my YouTube channel. I have 110 videos on there. YouTube.com forward slash Diane DiResta. That's one thing that you can do right away. You can get books. You can go to Toastmaster, but do something to raise the bar on your speaking. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Well, Diane, thank you. And good luck with all your presentations.
2: Well, thank you. I hope you'll be a knockout presenter.
1: Boy, the thing that Diane shared with me that really stuck and resonated and I think can be a fantastic mantra whenever you're planning out a communication is give them what they need to know, not everything you know. And this kind of reminds me of resumes in terms of you've done a lot of work, you know a lot of things, you've had a lot of experiences producing that piece of work, doing the research or having sort of career experiences and you wanna share it all on that resume, but then it gets too cluttered, it's unfocused and it doesn't really get the job done for that particular position you're after. Likewise, you can find yourself in that place where you've done a ton of detailed knowledge collection associated with a topic You're ready to blow them away with everything and you want to show them and prove that you've worked hard and you know some stuff, but really that gets in the way. So I like to think about it in terms of what must they know to make a decision or whatever their goal is, and then how could you convey that succinctly and powerfully? And then when they're asking you the questions, you're just all the more in demand. They appreciate that you've leveraged their time and you seem super knowledgeable when you've got all the right answers in your back pocket because you didn't put them up front and it's appreciated and they're begging for more, which is a good place to be in terms of engaging communication. So if you wanna check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to Alans we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F477. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Randy Greaser, and he is talking about how to have great cultures, the key ingredients, and a lot of it has to do with caring. Once again, an important theme.